I'm Damien Fowler. And I'm Elise Lifring. And welcome to this edition of The Current Podcast. The Current is your deep dive into the future of TV, media, and data-driven marketing, all explained in plain English. We talk to the biggest names in digital marketing, and this week we sit down with Noel Mack, the chief brand officer of the British fitness apparel brand Gymshark. Gymshark is easily becoming one of the most talked about brands online. What started off in 2012 as a homegrown operation is now a global brand. Gymshark, especially popular with Gen Zers, sells directly to consumers in 180 countries in 13 different languages. Noel Mack, named as one of Adweek's top marketing chiefs of 2022, joined Gymshark six years ago. He manages the brand's global strategy and brand marketing. Let's start with some really big news. We read recently that your CEO and founder, Ben Francis, just received his MBE at Windsor Castle from Prince William, uh, awarded for services to the business sector. You know, that really speaks a lot to the incredible success of the brand. What's your reaction? I'm immensely proud of him. I now have two friends who've received MBEs, Ben and the late, great Jamal Edwards as well. And I wrote on LinkedIn this morning saying people, because I think because they're sort of... Uh, Jamal was, Ben is, around the 30-year-old the, the mark. People always refer to them as like a great example for the next generation. I sort of disagree with that. I think they're a great example for literally everybody at any age. Anybody who's ever dreamed of something seemingly bigger than themselves or, you know, wanted to change their stars. Ben was a pizza boy that had an idea and he was lining furnaces with his granddad when Jim Sharp became a thing. Jamal was a kid with a camera who was passionate about music and turned that into one of the, the foremost YouTube channels we've ever seen and sort of changed the scene of UK music forever, I think. So Ben and Jamal, both of them, I think, are incredible inspirations for anybody who's ever dreamed of achieving anything and breaking out the box they were maybe born into. Also, for those who might not know, including me, because I'm born and bred American, but what is an MBE? An MBE stands for a member of the British Empire. I think it's essentially like if you've served the United Kingdom, it's a recognition from the royal family to say well done for that. So I think Ben's was officially for services to the business sector of the kingdom. It's it's a nod from the royal family to say thank you for what you've done to the UK. Clearly the brand has achieved, you know, major name recognition, even going all the way up to the palace. What is it about the brand that is so appealing? I think people are really proud of Ben's story in particular and the Gymshark story, uh, seeing something like this come out of the UK. I think we're one of two businesses that have ever made it to unicorn status from the UK, bootstraps. So I think the British people are impressed with that story. It's a real sort of, you know, the fact that Ben was a pizza boy and came from very humble working class beginnings. I think it's a story that lots of people, you know, resonate with and get behind. The brand from like a consumer point of view, I think... We stood up and represented a subculture which nobody had done yet. When Gymshark started, you had the Nikes and the Addies representing sports insanely well, right? Doing a great job of that. And then gymwear was definitely somewhat neglected on the other end of the spectrum. Gymwear was like this intimidating, very masculine, like big guys on Venice Beach in California lifting. But there was a new subculture emerging between those two things that were neither sports nor were they, you know, the other. There was this thing in between of people who were really conscious of, you know, being healthy and making themselves stronger and exercising for mental health and stuff like that. And Gymshark was the first brand that stood up represented that. So I suppose in a way, we're not Nike, we're not Adidas, we're not Lululemon. And that's why people love us because we stand for something quite unique. You kind of created Gymshark to fit a new way of exercising, a new way of thinking, maybe a new kind of lifestyle. Could you talk a little bit more about what that is and how you identified it? In the early days of Gymshark, 
it was young kids who couldn't find anything they wanted to wear personally, literally scratching their own itch. Do you know what I mean? Like stringer vests that were available in the bodybuilding world in America weren't available here in Europe. So we started making them. Gymshark wasn't even the name of the brand at first. It was a domain name for a website that sold all manner of different gym things. And then it evolved into being Gymshark the brand. So it was uh, young guys scratching their own itch. Uh, and it, you know, uh, ben took his pizza boy salary, turned that into a hundred pounds worth of sales, turned that into a thousand pounds worth of sales, 10,000 and so on, all the way up to a valuation after seven and a half years of $1.45 billion. You have over 12 years of experience in brand strategy and marketing. Can you describe your own journey to Gymshark where you have basically spent like roughly half of your career? It's a, uh, it's an addictive place to be. So yeah, so my journey is a very, very non-typical one. I started in music. Um, I fell in love with, whilst in music, the way the music industry went about marketing. I thought it was really, really smart. I went to university to do music production. And while there we did some, we did some, uh, units on music business and I was just absolutely enthralled with it. I loved it. So I made some music. Uh, my music career was good. The highest point was probably when I found myself in a room with Drake doing some work together, which was really, really cool. Um, and then I made some money in music and decided that we would start an agency taking some of these music industry uh, techniques and applying them to businesses. Um, and it was a tough slog at first. It was really tough. Uh, CMOs and clients didn't really understand why community should be a thing. Like at the time, bands were doing it really well on MySpace. I was trying to apply that to businesses. They didn't really understand why content was important. So it was a hard sell at first. And there were some jobs that we did that we were really proud of. Some that was yeah, a bit boring, if I'm honest, but it paid well. And then one day a client comes along, which is a couple of guys who were similar sort of age to me from a similar, similar area to me. And they said they had this idea, uh, this business called Gymshark. And they were in, I don't know, like the second year of trading, something like that. And they were like, I didn't have to bring the horse to water. You know, they already got it. They, they, they already got the community thing. They already got the content thing. Why that's so important. They understood the importance of social media. So with them, it was great because I didn't have to do any of the selling or convincing. It was just about the work. Those first few bits of work that we did went really viral. And then for about two years, I consulted for the brand until one day where Ben came to me and said, would you be interested in coming on board? I said, no, at first, uh, I wasn't interested. And then I was driving along, listening to a podcast with Cheryl Sandberg. And there was, she was talking about the the decision she made to jump to this little startup called Facebook, right? And uh, and they asked her why she made the decision. And she said, well, I wasn't particularly happy with the role that Mark was offering me. But I thought to myself, if the rocket ship's taking off, don't worry about your seat, just get on it. And I'm driving along and I had this like moment of realisation that, oh no, he's jumped shot my rocket ship. And it's going to take off without me. So I called Ben that day day and Steve the CEO at the time and I said y y this is probably a year later since he first said it I said you're still interested in me coming on board and he was like yeah so went to the office that day shook hands came on board uh, brought one of the guys from my agency with me who still works here and uh, yeah I'm really proud to say that was six years ago and I, I don't think I don't think a single day since I've thought that wasn't the right decision Do you know what I mean it's been an amazing roller coaster even the darkest of days or the times where you felt most painted into a corner or most up against it have still been such a phenomenal part of the journey so yeah I'm really glad that I did. Speaking about like the journey, um, what would you say have been like the biggest challenges and how did you like work to position the brand itself in a very competitive marketplace with such dominant brands now? Um, I'm talking about like the Lululemons of the world or like Under Armour's. I mean, it's always tough for a startup. You know, in the in the world of influencer marketing, which many people have credited us for being as like really early to that channel, in the world of forums that then became Facebook groups, that then became Instagram pages, that then became TikTok, we didn't really see much of those brands. They weren't really doing it the way we did it. So 
we've really only started getting concerned about them more recently. And when I say concerned, we're not that concerned. They're just, you know, they're, they're in your peripheral vision um, as they've started to sort of come over to our side of marketing, if that makes sense. But, you know, we weren't competing for Super Bowl ads or in the big, the big areas that they play or, you know, we weren't going up against them in contract negotiations for Colin Kaepernick or, you know, for Alicia Keys to sing the soundtrack because we didn't have money like that. We weren't in those conversations. Um, we found ourselves there now, thankfully, but I think we've come up in a different route, if that makes sense. You've, carved out your own like little niche what would you say are like the major messaging touch points that the brand really tries to encapsulate in its marketing i'd love everybody who comes into contact with gymshark to be able to repeat these two things about the brand fitness and community really really simple but i think we're very very early to that and i think it's really true with us as well so those are the two things like the core tenets of the gymshark brand i think that the kinds of people gymshark using its marketing are a lot more relatable and a lot more achievable, if that makes sense, than I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of our competitors. So I think you hear this a lot in diversity and inclusion conversations. People say, if you see it, you can be it. I think that people look at Gymshark athletes, Gymshark ambassadors, Gymshark influencers, all the people that we're using campaigns, and they go, oh, I could be that, right? Like if you walk into our flagship store on Regent Street, you don't see highly retouched, wonderful people who've won gold medals and, you know, broken world records and stuff like that. You see, like, decidedly average physiques, if I'm completely honest with you. Uh, we don't say it explicitly, but I think implicitly when you see all these touch points of the Gymshark brand, you realise, oh, this is this is a brand for real people. And on that point, I wanted to talk a little bit about the first North American campaign, United We Sweat, which I know came out last year and it has that message of inclusivity. And also, you know, you used... Um, Ultra Brand Studio in London, which, you know, uh, features a chef and fitness influencer Latoya Chante Snell. Can you talk a little bit about this campaign and how that relates back to what you were just saying and the importance of that theme, United We Sweat? It wasn't actually a North American campaign. It was a global campaign, but it was centered out of a human truth that came from North America, if I'm honest. That came along during a time where, right, it was post-COVID, there was so much tension and it, came, it was born out of this idea that, like, at the moment, as a people, as a generation, we seem to be so divided, right? It was wrong. It was left versus right. It was black versus white. It was wrong versus right. Everybody had an opinion and there was so much tension in the air, it felt like. This was kind of our way of saying like, the, the gym should be that safe space where that's irrelevant, right? Fitness should be that safe space where it's irrelevant. Like when you're on a team and you're, you know, you, you, you've got teammates and one of you might be injured or one of you might fumble the ball or whatever else, you're not, you're not questioning their, you know, political biases or, you know, anything like that. It's about teamwork and the gym should be that safe space. And you see somebody spotting someone in the gym and they run over and help them. Like there's, there's an implicit community about that. So we were, it was a take on where we were in the world at the time. And it was also a take on the gym can be your escape from all of this noise. It's interesting to me that brands are able to kind of intersect with, you know, what's going on in the world. You know, it's not like, here's our product, which is completely separate from the world. This is, you know, you, know, you are talking back to what's happening. I, I'm a big believer that like the consumer these days is a lot smarter, a lot more switched on, a lot more in tune with where they spend their money. I don't think any longer it's, I give you cash, you give me product. I want to know what you stand for. I want to know what you believe in. I'm really proud of that. I think that's a really cool, and it's a really cool dynamic, which has emerged between consumers and brands. Obviously, Gymshark saw its sales soar during the pandemic. Now that things are somewhat, somewhat back to normal, how would you compare like consumers' overall demand now? I think the demand has just changed, that's all. So 
Business of Fashion referred to this as, I'm going to try and get this right, ready? They referred to it as the athleisurefication of everything. In other words, everyone's work attire changed, right? I wore a, I wore a tracksuit the other day to a, a board meeting, right? Previously, that wouldn't have been acceptable. But in this world where it was almost like you had athleisure fitness gym wear here, then there was a clear distinction. And then like the clothes that you wear during the day, right, for, to go into work or to go to meetings or whatever it might be. Those worlds are just completely blended together. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm seeing like formal shoes with, you know, like a sneaker base, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that's very much more common. I especially, you know, I see that for men and women's shoes, for example, which, you know, why be uncomfortable? On a separate note, we are now in can line season and we're going to be there ourselves. We're pretty excited about it. Um, you have a particular take on Can Lion, as I understand. Uh, what's been your experience? I think this is born out of the fact somebody asked me why they haven't seen me there or why I haven't been there much. My honest answer back then was we were so busy, like connecting with our community. We didn't have time to go out there and sort of pat ourselves on the back, as it were. Um, I understand bigger businesses do have that luxury. Unfortunately, we didn't. I actually then completely contradicted myself and went last year because uh, AKQA and TikTok asked if I'd come out and I was like, no, Canline isn't really for me. And they said, no, no, hold on. We're doing like the the like the like challenger thing. We're doing like the anti-Can can Lion stage. Do you want to come and talk about that? And I was like, that's quite cool, actually. So just, you know, being kind of disruptive by nature and, you know, the way Jim Shark is, I thought that's tempting. So I went out there and did it. And I have to admit, it was really cool. Um it was great to see that whole community out there. Whether I go this year or not, I think is, yeah, that's that, that's up in the air. But it was really cool to be there last year and I got to meet some amazing people. So I wouldn't criticise it. It's just not particularly me, if that makes sense. Gymshark has a huge social media presence and you use influencers a lot to grow demand for the brand online. I believe the brand now has over 6 million Instagram followers, 4.5 million TikTok followers. Celebs like Hailey Bieber and Hilary Duff sport the brand all the time. What would you say is Gymshark's most successful like social campaign so far? And why would you say it was so successful? So I'm going to have to fact check you there. We have over 6 million followers on one of our accounts, but Gymshark's actually got three accounts on Instagram because we we segment audiences a little bit on this. We have Gymshark, Gymshark Women and Gymshark Lifting. So we actually have over 10 million on Instagram. Um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, we, like, we're like we huge fans of social media. Um, and the thing you just said is it's actually a bit of a common misconception of like, and again, this goes back to what I was talking about, sort of with Cannes, sort of with us not doing things in the traditional way. I couldn't name you one single Gymshark social media campaign because we never thought in terms of campaign. Gymshark's success on social media is sort of like success by a thousand cuts, right? We're out there every single day posting stuff every single day. Some stuff has gone more viral than others and then others have referred to it as a campaign, but we've never done that. Do you know what I mean? Like we have this 24-7 constant conversation with our consumer and it also means we're constantly iterating trying to understand what they like as well, which you can imagine the data we can harvest from that, right, in terms of products that they like and whatever else. It's not just social media strategy. So there isn't one particular thing which I could pull out. There was a, there was a crazy moment I'll give you just to sort of satiate the need to hang our hat on something. During COVID, I have a I have a neighbour down the street, and I, I know we all know one of these guys, one of these people who who they're constantly changing what they do. Right, one minute they're selling fishing rods, next minute it's surfboards, and they're always trying to make a you know make a buck here or there. And he said to me, "Oh no, I was I was like, it was we were allowed out during lockdown briefly." He said, "No, well, I'm doing out of home advertising now." And I thought well, that makes sense. No one's out of their home. That would be why you're selling it, right? And he said, uh, "He said uh, I can get you one time square for five grand," and I said. 
what's one time square? I was like, not the big one where like the ball, yeah, yeah. And I was like, five grand for one time square. He said, yeah, for the day, five grand. Cause, and again, it was obviously cheap because nobody was out of their house, right? No one's going to see it. And I thought to myself, there's got to be something in that. Like, we, we, and so I, to be honest, I sort of said, yeah, we'll take it on a whim. Then turned around to the team and said, figure something out. Like that's an opportunity for sure. And obviously the, the creative challenge there is no one's going to be out of their home, so they're not going to see it. So it has to be something that, you know, makes noise online. So how, what do we do? So we, we're coming up with your concepts, we're storyboarding, we're doing mock-ups, we're doing all this stuff. What we decided to do in the end, going back to what I said earlier, was we're the fitness and community brand, right? Let's let the community decide. So we tweeted saying, uh, like, you know, blow this tweet up. Whoever gets the most engagement on a reply to this, we'll take your tweet and post it on one time square. So the, the tweets start flooding in, you know, people telling you about their cookie shop on, you know, 42nd Broadway or whatever else it would be, or, hey, my name's Dave, follow me on Instagram or whatever else. But then the influencers pile on and they start telling their audiences to, you know, to vote for them and to upload their tweet because they want to get their thing on. Music stars, all sorts of stuff, it starts kicking off. And the engagement for this tweet went absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't have the stats to hand, but it was crazy. Now, at this point, they're all tweeting and they're all trying to start their own campaign. Uh, a musician from the States got involved called Corpse Husband, a uh, huge online following in the gaming community as well, got the most insane stats. And it was like, it was trending and, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of likes and comments, and whatever else. At this point, I'm thinking for five grand, I'll take that, right? Even if this does nothing more, the fact that we just kicked off this competition, which did all these huge accounts online, um, I'll take that. But it didn't end there. We made goodbye, I promise. We, we closed the competition at a certain time. We put Corpse's tweet up, which was about his new single that he's putting out. And when we put it up, there was a, like a live stream that we got. Uh, we went on, he had, he had a huge gaming following. So, you know, gamers love Twitch. So we, we, we streamed it live on Twitch. Something like 80,000 people tuned in live just to watch the billboard go live in Times Square, right? And then we could see in the bottom of the stream all these heads of all these people that had gathered they probably shouldn't have, by the way, in Times Square to watch it go up. People bought cardboard cutouts of him and took selfies with it. Long story short, that trended number two on Twitter worldwide. The only thing that beat us was the UFC that was on that night. And obviously you can imagine sort of money they were pouring into promoting that. It was like a big fight or whatever else. And we got that trending number two on Twitter. It, was, it did, in the end, something like a billion impressions, all for five grand and a little bit of creative thinking. So yeah, that was it. That was a moment that definitely, like I said, it's death by a thousand cuts, but some of those cuts are deeper than others. You know, you mentioned Digital Out of Home, and that's a channel we talk about here. Um, and then we also talk a lot about connected TV and streaming platforms. But it sounds like you don't, you're not running campaigns specifically for those platforms. Or, or are you? Are you thinking about, you know, possibilities in the future of what streaming opportunities there might be out there for campaigns? We are, but it's case by case. I'd say we, we, we don't just look at a channel and go, that's a good channel, or that's not a good channel. It's like, right, we have this message, we have this audience, we have this whatever else it be. What are the appropriate channels for that, right? So... Next Saturday, Katie Taylor, who is one of the most phenomenal female athletes you've ever seen in your life. She quite literally got women's boxing into the Olympics. She won gold for Ireland. She's undisputed at two weight classes. She was the first woman to ever headline Madison Square Garden. Um, she's fighting in Dublin. She's from Dublin. She's fighting in Dublin for the first time ever. Um, so like a, an Irish athlete that big, she's basically like the female Conor McGregor in Ireland, right? And she's fighting in Dublin for the first time. So we're in out of home all over uh, Ireland during that time, but we wouldn't just have, you know, always on out of home. It's because it's particularly, you know, pertinent to that moment. We're doing some great organic YouTube stuff at the minute. So we have some, you know, some in-stream stuff going on there. So it's, it's case by case and it's, 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 you know, what's the purpose of the message that we're trying to send right now, rather than yes, we do that channel or no, we don't do that channel, if that makes sense. You mentioned the first retail store in London, which opened, you say, October last year in 2022. Why was it important for a brand that's done so much online to have a physical footprint, physical presence? 
if you remember when we went into the pandemic, everybody was saying e-commerce adoption just leaped forward 10 years, right? And we knew that everybody was bailing on their leases, right? So um, we'd had a plan in the background that we were formulating to do a bit of a test and learn retail strategy, you know, maybe 2,000 square foot, see how it goes. Then maybe evolve that a little bit, evolve that, evolve that. But then almost like in a Warren Buffett-esque moment, Ben said to me, you know, while everybody else is bailing from retail, maybe this is our moment to go all in. We always knew we wanted to remain D to C, so for there to be no bridge between the Gymshark customer and us. So it wasn't going to be Dick Sporting Goods or JD Sports. Um, And it was like, well, there's never going to be a better moment than right now to invest in something that, you know, can really bring the fitness community together. And let's look around. So we looked around. We ended up on Regent Street, which is, for those who don't know, probably the most prestigious retail location in all of Europe, apart from maybe the Champs-Élysées. Um, it's like, you know, it's the, it's the, it's London's Fifth Avenue. Uh, and yeah, we had a, we, we got the chance to step into a store, which during peacetime, if you want to call it that, we probably wouldn't have been able to afford. And, and you know, now I'm so glad we did because unfortunately, you know, for a lot of businesses, the e-com 10-year adoption leap forward thing didn't ring true. Once we got out of the pandemic, people did go back offline again and wanted experiences and wanted to go out there. So now we're seeing more people realise that, you know, the bet that we placed during the pandemic was probably a quite a good one and realising that bricks and mortar isn't dead and there's still so much, you know, so much white space and so much headway there. What does it mean when you say customer experience now? People talk about that a lot, you know, going into a store and it's a customer experience. It's not just, I'm not going to, I'm going to go in and pick up, you know, a sweatshirt. It's, it's something else, right? What does that mean? Well, in the Gymshark store, we've, We've thought about experience as much as we have trading. We we called it a space where we want to train and trade. Ben, our founder, jokingly said to me, it's the stores, what's that, 18,000 square foot on Regent Street, something like that. And Ben, you, you know when people say things to you and they're sort of joking but not joking, Ben said at the start, he said, I want to put an 18,000 square foot gym on Regent Street and if there's room, we'll sell some stock in there as well. Right now, I was being a little bit facetious with that, but... We gave that brief to a, to a design agency who were great. What we ended up with was we have rails all around the store, which the stock hangs from, on lifting straps that go up to the ceiling. You can press a button and send all of that stock up into the roof and you have the entire floor to host workout classes and stuff like that. So if you're walking down Regent Street on, a, on any given morning, particularly a Sunday morning, obviously before trading hours, you might come across... 250 people doing a group workout on Regent Street, right? Somewhere where you're typically used to just seeing, you know, revenue per square foot, uh, shop window displays, stuff like that. And you, you, you walk past and you see somebody doing a, a hit workout seminar or a, an Afrobeats inspired dance fitness class. Do you know what I mean? So it's like the best possible billboard. Like a lot of people now, you know, we've seen the, the Balenciaga 3D billboard, stuff like that. I don't think there's any better billboard than seeing like 200 something people actually sweating, actually working out in this new store with, you know, with with Gymshark over the year uh, and the, and the uni- and Jack flying over the top of it. So it's a great, again, I told you earlier, the two words I want people to recount when we talk about Gymshark is fitness and community. I honestly can't think of a better way to instill that than to to have them walking past a, a real life billboard like that. Now, I want to ask you um, a question about AI because I saw on LinkedIn, you posted what might be considered a contrary viewpoint to what I guess most of the industry is viewing AI as, which is mostly in like a positive light right now. On LinkedIn, you stated, why rely on like soulless AI generated content when you can build real connections with your audience? Say no to chat GPT and yes to genuine authenticity. Can you describe your take on that? Um, 
how might AI be a barrier to creativity? Do you want to know something really funny about that? Um, you've fallen into the trap which I placed. If you saw that in context, I, I typed into ChatGPT, give me a contrary opinion on ChatGPT, and it typed that out for me. So I just copy and pasted that from AI onto my LinkedIn and posted it. So it was AI criticising AI. I don't actually believe that. I think AI can be game-changing. I just thought while everybody on LinkedIn was talking about it and everybody on LinkedIn was saying how it's going to revolutionise everything, I thought, I wonder what if there's a contrary opinion. So I asked AI what it thought, and that was what it spat out to me. So I don't I don't actually believe that. I think AI is incredible, and I think that, that what it's going to unlock for us is incredible like i think what people thought the metaverse was going to do for us actually ai is going to do for us instead so yeah you fell into my trap i didn't say that chat gpt did <laughs> and that's it for the current stay tuned because next time we'll have the cmo of canva a graphic design platform we live in a more visual world than than ever before the world has just become completely visual that's been accelerated you know in, in the way that we work over the past few years through the pandemic and, and hybrid work that's opened itself to new ways of, of collaborating and connecting and, and expressing ourselves the current is produced by wonder media network our theme is by love and caliber the trade desk team includes chris brooklier and kat bessie and remember I suppose in a way we're not nike we're not adidas we're not lululemon and that's why people love us because we stand for something quite unique I'm Elise. And I'm Damien. And we'll see you next time.